Good evening and Merry Christmas from the slanted hallway. Originally, we had planned for this very evening, being in some ways our magnum opus, filled with myriad tales of horror and yuletide joy. However, there's a Packers game on today, and we needed to cut the broadcast short. No matter... Rather than 45 new and unique stories, we shall be presenting three-ish delightful tales of the Christmas variety. The first of these stories comes from across the pond. Yes, our sister program broadcasting from Paris, Le Couloir Inégal, has provided us with what they have dubbed a new wave in horror and mirth. Well, I'm sure it'll eat up some precious moments anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, Le Couloir Inigal. What in God's name was that? I can't tell you if that was horror or, or mirth or some kind of emotion they haven't found a word for yet. Well, since that was such a bust, we might as well round into another European story. This one coming from war-torn Norway. Ladies and gentlemen, Snow Treasure. Ingrid, you're slightly so fiest. Hooey! Yes, yame it then. I strapped some of Father's gold bullion to it to make it go faster. Such a good idea. I should get some of my father's gilt bullion too. Luckily, everyone in our small Norwegian town has an immense stockpile of gold bullion. You children shouldn't be out here. Ethan from... We were just playing. Yeah, we were having fun on our sledge. That's not dangerous. Enjoy it while you can. Goodbye. Ha ha wee. I love winter in Norway. I am having so much youthful carefree fun despite the ravages of World War II sweeping across Europe and leaving untold devastation in their wake. Good thing we haven't been invaded by the Nazis yet. Yoo-hoo, Nazis here. We are invading from the sky. No! no! 
Father, father, the Nazis are here. Oh no, my gold bullion and all of our nation's heavy water. I have an idea, father. Here, I'll strap all of your gold to my sled. This is no time for fun, Yanapan. Just trust me, father. Hello. We are here to take all your gold and such and heavy water and also any enriched uranium you have. We are also here to protect our vital trade route to Sweden. We need so much of your gold because our supplies will not accept German currency and we need so many tanks and things for the war and we keep losing the tanks. Is it under this face? Or this cat? Um, no gold here, sadly. My wife, she ran off with a sled man, and they took all of our gold into a tree and over our cliff. Oh my, how unusual. It happens more than you'd think. You won't mind if we look around despite your incredibly convincing story while we point these guns at you. No, no, not at all. Why would I mind? Me, I'm playing at Shiden the Snow, a mere boy, grunting, pushing a sled, or I mean, jumping up and down on the sled. This is how you play with the sled. On Norway, we play with our sleds like this. There's no gold bullion here, Captain. Only a boy jumping on a very fat sled. So charming. Though, we will be on our way. Guten Tag. Father, it worked, it worked. It, it did, my boy. And if it worked for us, it'll work for others. We must save Norway's gold. But how will we do that, Father? You must tell all the children to hide the gold on their sledge. I have a cargo ship waiting 72 kilometers away for an unrelated reason. And we have to move 13 tons of gold bullion. So it should only take you and your small children friends a few days. Good thing we're on winter break. We will have time to shave all the gold. Uh, this audacious plan survives on the unique wisdom and pure bravery of children. You who again, it's the Nazis. I also wanted to add that the commander has commanded that all Drake's vacation and time off of any sort has been cancelled. All of the charming children jumping on sled belong in the classroom for 12 hours a day, okay? Goodbye. Oh no, father. What will we do now? Worry not, my son. As the town's doctor, I have an idea about that as well. If the children's can't be in school for our plan to work, we simply need a valid reason why all the children can't be in school. Oh, I see. Illness. We could draw some red dots on the littler children and say they need to be quarantined inside, while the bigger children must be separated from them outside to prevent the false disease 
from spraying from the oh, one child to better. another. I was going to say we should break all the children's fingers so they can't hold pencils. You don't need fingers to steer a sled, do you? Well, I mean... Although I can't find my red doctor marker, and I don't want to spend time looking for it, we need to move that gold now! Ouch! My little child fingers, how? For the glory of Norway! Yeah, Doctor. All of the children of this town are coming down with broken fingies. Oh, yeah. This time of year is very fraught with brittle finger burn. I prescribe fresh air, and the freshest air is obtained while moving at high speeds, but close to the ground. So I think all of the children should be sledding all day. Excellent. I've been post armed guards everywhere to ensure that the children are safe. Ah, oh, yes. Safe to play on their play boat that I built them many miles away and even more kilometers. Oh, to be a child again. The carefree days of my youth. And you are spending awfully long taking your time to hide. You have told me to count to one hundred three times now. I think you must be very hidden, and I must come find you. Oh, no, not yet, Nazi Schmidt. I had to go to the bathroom, and now I am about to hide, I promise. That's what you said the last three times. I'm coming in. No! Ah, there's a wall of gold on this ship. You, you children, lied to me. You are attempting to preempt the theft of gold by first stealing the gold preemptively yourself before I could also make an attempt to steal the gold. You children are all under arrest. Wow, gold sure is heavy. Do you think I knocked him out? Oh, sure. Look at all the blood leaking out of his eyes and nose. I'd say he's out cold. Here, pass me the last few bricks. I can't believe we saved the entire gold standard of Norway. And just in time for Christmas. Surely, Christmas is about the tangible wealth of an entire nation. It's a Christmas miracle. Merry Christmas, Yanatan. Merry Christmas, Ingrid. And Merry Christmas, Mr. Schmidt. <laughs> Simply delightful. I'm glad we all had to sit through that. Alright, so evidently I cut far more stories than I had to. So now, um, well, for your listening pleasure, I will be presenting a tale I wrote myself, performed by me. This is A Child's Christmas 
in Iowa. One Christmas was so much like the other in those years around the sea town corner now. Out of all the sound except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep, that I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve, or if we were raised Jewish. Yes, and all the Christmases of my boyhood stop flat if you don't push them. Like any round object, left on the flat dirt plain that was our street, and they stop at the rim of the ice-edged fields of wheat we couldn't afford to take in that year, and I plunge my hands into the snow and bring out whatever I can find, usually frozen wheat, in goes my hand into that wool-white bell-tongued ball of the holidays, resting at the rim of my kettle-singing grandfather, and out comes Mrs. Prothero and the fireman. It was on the afternoon of the day of the night before the night that would be known as the night that would be one day, Christmas Eve. And I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for her cats, with her son, Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing. But it was more commonly snowing in winter. Sometimes it was Christmas, but it could have just as easily been Groundhog Day or St. Valentine's Day. Nevertheless, December, in my memory, is as white as Lapland, but there were no reindeer, though I am pretty sure reindeer are a sort of brown color. There were regular deer somewhere. I never really saw them, but I'm told they would come out and eat my mother's azaleas in the early spring or the late autumn, depending on when the azaleas felt that they could come out that year. I digress again. And Grandfather would spin long tales of the buffalo that once roamed the plains like a great ocean of matted fur. How grateful we all were to be rid of them, the giant rodents. We would dance the dance of the buffalo, which once trampled many a farm fence, and some boys would wait snowball-laden to, like riflemen of old, tear us streaming to the earth. Then, again, we'd rise to dance the dance of the buffalo, and how often we would dance when a mother would call, but if she called at all, we would never hear her. Fire would come the cry of the boy and man alike, each of us in turn, taking on the role of buffalo and hero hunter, tamer of the west. But this time, there was an actual fire. Our house, which we had so long seen as a beacon of warmth, was now a very literal beacon of warmth, but warmth far greater than we had wanted. 
A bit too hot for me, my mother said. I said, it's a bit too hot for me, my mother repeated angrily. Oh, you were talking to me, father replied knowingly. Who else would I be talking to, mother replied, more knowingly than him. The kids, I don't know, he said, gesturing wildly at us. And just where have you been, spake my mother. I've been here the whole night, said father. I meant the kids, said mother. And I said I've been here all night, my father repeated, far angrier than ever before. This conversation carried on for several more hours as our house turned to ash around the squabbling couple. It was this year that the most precious gift of all was my father's hearing aid and my mother's barbiturate. Always on Christmas night there was music. An uncle played the fiddle, a cousin sang the whole of the music man without breathing, and another uncle sang the Cornhusker's fight song. It was very warm in the little house, the one we built from the remaining charred timber of the old house. Auntie Hannah, who had got on to the potato wine, sang a song about the bleeding hearts and death, and then another in which she said her heart was like a bird's nest. And then my very knowing doctor uncle would explain to her how unlike a bird's nest the human heart was, and everyone would become very sad. It's a metaphor, Auntie Hannah would say. What's a metaphor, my uncle doctor would say. I'm trying to explain to you how your heart works. And she would say, I know exactly how my heart works, for I have heard beautiful music. And then he would go on and on and on, and everyone would get increasingly sad and tired of this argument that very obviously needn't need to be had. But as the conversation rolled on the way it did, I went to bed. Looking through my bedroom window, out into the moonlight and the unending smoke-colored snow, I could see the lights in the windows of all the other houses on our plane and hear the music rising from them up the long, steady, falling night. I turned the gas down. I got into bed. I said some words to the close and holy darkness. And then Mother came into my room and said a man was here to see me. He was a very wealthy man who needed a boy for some reason, and though I longed for a life of luxury, she said I wouldn't be able to take my beloved sleigh. Rosebud was its name. I tossed it aside merrily and went on to live the most blissful life of any of God's creatures. A delightful story, and a true one. Good night and Merry Christmas from the Slated Hallway.